Let's pray together. Father, as always, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together, to hear your word, to celebrate your glory. As we heard last week, God, we were made to glorify you. And so, God, we consider it an honor to be able to do so. But we also know we can't glorify you without you. We need you. We need you to help us. We can't follow Jesus without Jesus, without the power of the Spirit enabling us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us today. Help us to see and know this truth in your word. And God, help me to communicate it in a way that honors you and is helpful to us we thank you for this word. God, we do want to not only hear it, believe it, but live in light of it. And that's what we ask that you would enable us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're in John, John chapter 18. We're actually gonna finish up John chapter 18 today. Um, we've been in this gospel now, I think this is like week 78 um, and we just decided we're just going to do it until Jesus comes back, right? Um, people are like, when does Jesus come back? I don't know. I mean, I probably know more about that than I know when we're going to end the gospel according to John. Um, no, seriously, we are going to wrap up the gospel according to John this year. In fact, these two chapters, chapter 18 and 19, we're going to do between now and Easter because it's the story of Jesus going to the cross. It's the story of Jesus being arrested. That's why you saw the verses on the screen. And now we're gonna see Jesus being interrogated by Pilate. And that's the last part of chapter 18, him actually now about to be declared a criminal. And this chapter is so um, pivotal to understand. In fact, this is why I'm so glad we're taking literally almost two months to talk about these two chapters because there's so many things in here that not only lead up to the arrest and death of Jesus, but there's so many things in here that we need to understand that are crucial to our faith. And this week is no exception. And so we got a long way to go, short time to get there, eastbound and down. All right, here we go. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. I'm gonna to read to verse 32, but we'll work our way to the end of the chapter. And if you don't know anything about that movie, then I'm sorry for you, all right? Verse 28 says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. Remember, he was arrested at night. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Verse 32, this is the phrase you're gonna hear often. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So now he's been transferred over to Pilate because the Jewish people did not have governmental rule at that point in time. The Romans did. And so they had their own religious laws, but they didn't have governmental laws. And so they couldn't put someone to death. And so now they're wanting the Romans to do it. And so now he's there with Pilate and Pilate's going to question him in just a second. We'll get into that. But just to kind of understand the setup, they turn him over to Pilate. They want Pilate to kill him. And, and there's several ironies that I'll point out in this text today, and this is the first one. The ironic thing 
is that the Jewish people, because they could not interact with Gentiles, and so this is Passover week, which we now celebrate as Easter, and so they wouldn't go in to associate with Gentiles because they didn't want to be defiled, but they had no problem killing somebody. You see the irony in that? They're like, oh, we can't be defiled by hanging out with you, but you can do it. We can't be defiled. We're so holy on this side, but we can do some evil on this side. Talk about being two-faced, right? Talk about not having integrity. It's so intriguing to me that they were so concerned about not being defiled, but yet they wanted someone dead. They wanted someone dead. And what's intriguing is how easy it is for even us as religious people to start playing religious games about our own quandaries or our own ideas of what makes guilt and what makes innocent. This is like when religious people, well, I don't hang out with those people. You know, when I got saved and started going to church, it's like Baptists don't drink, Baptists don't smoke, Baptists don't dance. We don't do that. That's what those people do. We didn't have any conversations about what we did do, like gossip and judge and, you know. Isn't it interesting how we develop our own levels of what defiles us and what doesn't, which that's going to be crucial as we work our way through this. And so they're so concerned about not being defiled, but yet they got no problem conspiring to put someone to death. Verse 33 says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? One thing that you'll learn about Jesus as you study him, and I would strongly suggest you study him, by the way, even if you're not a believer, I would suggest you study him because contrary to Dos Equis, Jesus is the most interesting man in the world. There's more that's been written about him than any other human being on planet Earth that's ever lived. In fact, we divide our calendar by his birth. And so even if you don't believe in Jesus, I would highly recommend you study him. I would highly recommend you look into his life and ministry. Because we simply believe if you do, you'll understand he is the truth. But Pilate here Ask him a question. Are you the king? And I love how Jesus answers. He answers with a question of his own. And it's not because Jesus doesn't know the answer. This is what you'll find out about Jesus. Jesus is a fan of asking you questions because there's things that you don't know that he already knows that he wants you to know. So he's asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, do you come to that opinion by yourself? of your own accord, literally, is that out of you? Do you want to know if that's true or not? Or does someone else just tell you this about me? Which again is so important. So many of us have heard rumors about Jesus. So many of us know about Jesus, but you might not know Jesus. So it's important that we can answer this question for ourselves, not because we've heard about it, but because we know it to be true. So he asked Jesus, are you the king? And Jesus says, you saying that? Or you believe somebody else is saying that? Now, he never answers directly. 
He will answer indirectly. Look what happens. Pilate says in verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? In essence, I'm not one of you. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate, I, you know, we don't know by the written text about, you know, if he's getting annoyed here, if he, obviously, uh, I would imagine, like, you know, I get excited when I get high-pitched. I start talking faster and my voice, you know, starts getting higher in octaves. I'm sure that'll happen at some point today because I just get excited about this stuff. But I can imagine just by deduction, he, am, am I a Jew? Why are you asking me? I'm the one asking questions here, bro. Why are you asking me? I'm not a Jew. You're only here because your people brought here. What have you done? And then Jesus' response, again, is epic. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. See, now he's answering the first question, but indirectly. Because kings have what? Kingdoms, right? And if you got a kingdom, then what are you? A king. You, okay, you're following along. You do, you're doing great. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been kung fu fighting. Because those cats are fast as lightning. That I may not, might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus is answering his question, but I love how he answers it. He doesn't say directly, yes, I'm a king. And one of the reasons why I think that is, is Jesus isn't a blowhard. Jesus isn't braggadocious. Jesus ain't trying to be an IG influencer. Like he doesn't have in his bio, king. Right? So we, Jesus isn't a self-promoter. Isn't it interesting how so many of us try to be a self-promoter? Which is really interesting. Self-promotion comes from a lack of self-confidence. It actually takes more self-confidence to not promote yourself because you're promoting yourself to try to fill something that's empty within yourself. Oh, did I just not describe all of our bios on social media? I'm, this makes me laugh all the time when I see pastors and their biographies. I can read their biographies and I can tell you within seconds if they wrote it or someone else wrote it. Because if they wrote it, they're like, Pastor Jason is an amazing communicator, right? Like it's all this self-promotion jargon. But Jesus isn't a self-promoter talking about who he is he simply talks about the effect of who he is. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. Now, if you've been around here, you know I like prepositions. I don't think they get enough love. Almost always in my Bible translation software, it never highlights the preposition. You know, nouns, adjectives, verbs, they get all the love. Prepositions are like, hey, what about me? But this word here, of, is so important. There's different kind of prepositions, and this one is a preposition of source. And what that means is Jesus is saying, my kingdom has a different source than the one of this world. My kingdom is of somewhere else. It's not from here. It's not from this place. It's from a different place. 
And how you know that my kingdom is not of this place has a different source as you can tell by how servants act in my kingdom. Who do you think servants are? That'd be us, right? That'd be us. Let me give you this point and then I'll explain it. If you're taking notes, you can tell where the kingdom is from by how its servants fight. You can tell where a kingdom is from by how its servants fight. See, Jesus just gives us a diagnostic tool. And by diagnostic, if you think about the word, it means to diagnose. And so if you want to figure out, okay, am I dealing with the kingdom of God here? Or am I dealing with a different kingdom? Look at how the servants of the kingdom fight. Look at how they act. Jesus said in John 13, the world will know you're my disciples by how you fight one another. Remember that verse? Isn't that what he said? Oh, that's not what he said. What'd he say? By how you love one another, right? He said, you can tell my boys from another group by how they love one another. And this is why I said a few weeks ago when we were talking about when Jesus was arrested and Peter pulls out his sword and he does start kung fu fighting. Obviously that dude was fast because he cut off a dude's ear. I mean, you gotta be pretty quick to cut off a dude's ear. I mean, to get the sword from here, all I gotta, you know, obviously that dude didn't watch, you know, uh, MMA, I mean, he didn't have any moves, right? He wasn't a UFC fan. I mean, he just, he just uh, oh, my ear, right? And Jesus tells Peter, put your sword up, bro. We don't fight like that. Paul goes deeper into this with spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter six. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight like the world fights. And this is so important for us. And I say this often, every time there's a political season, every time the world starts to attack the church, which is only gonna happen more frequently, we cannot take up the weapons of the world and fight like the world because if we fight like the world, we're of the world. This is why Jesus said, you've heard it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies. Say what? Yeah, that's how you'll know. What is it to you if you love those who love you? What do you do to those who don't love you? How do you treat them? See, that's a different kingdom. That's a different ethic. That's a different power. This is the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. All these blessedness. Jesus saying, my kingdom is different and you know by how my servants fight. Just a quick Note on this, Luke chapter nine, I've got this on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but you might want to write it down as a reference. Luke nine, verse 54 and 56. I actually have this in the NASB version, and it's actually a really good version of the Bible as well because it puts in a section that is not in all of the Greek manuscripts, but it is in some. So the ESV doesn't have this in there, and the NSV does, not because the NSV is better than the ESV, it just gives you different options. And look at what Jesus says here. Luke chapter nine, verse 54 through 56. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, saw what? Saw people rejecting Jesus. Look at what they said. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is why James and John were called the sons of thunder. Because they wanted God to bring down thunder 
on their enemies' heads. And here's what is amazing to me. This, we don't know exactly when this happens, like in the, in the timeline, but let's just say it, it happened you know, somewhere within a year or two in Jesus's ministry. I mean, he ministered for three years. And it wasn't too long before this that James and John just got spiritual power. Remember when Jesus sends out the 72? He gives them spiritual power. And the moment they get spiritual power, guess what James and John want to do? They want to use it to kill folk. That's better, you better watch out with people in the church that just get power. You better watch out with people anywhere that just get power, right? They just got spiritual power to heal the sick, to multiply loaves and fishes. And now they want somebody to be struck by lightning. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, and here's this section that is not in all the manuscripts. You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. You don't know what kind of spirit you are of. Verse 56, you wanna know what kind? Here's the diagnostic. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The son of man didn't come to destroy people. And that's what you're trying to do with your power right now, James and John. And that's a different kind of spirit, bro. What spirit? John 10, 10, Jesus said, devil comes to steal, kill, and anybody know the last one? Destroy, interesting, same word, destroy. But he said, I came that you may have life. I'm here to save people. And you wanna use your newfound power to destroy people. You know who you remind me of right now? The devil. See, the devil is hell-bent on destruction. God is hell-bent, or heaven-bent, I should say, on salvation. Right? He goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. And here's why I'm saying this. This will become more clear at the end. So often, people in the church who claim the name of God are being influenced by other spirits. Because their motivation is not to uplift, it's to tear down. Their motivation is to destroy, not to save. So you can tell where the kingdom is from by how the servants fight. Let's move on, back to John chapter 18. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Look at Jesus, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. <laughs> Again, I just love Jesus. This is why I don't argue with Jesus, by the way. But I do love him. So you are a king, because you just said you got a kingdom. Jesus says, if you say so. And then he goes on, look at this. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now here is what is so epic about what Jesus just said. Kings have kingdoms. We established that, right? And kings of kingdoms have decrees, have rules. And it's hard for us as Americans a lot of times to understand this because we don't have a kingdom. 
We don't have a king. We are a democracy or a republic. And we vote our leaders in to represent us. And if we don't like them, we can vote them out. Which is one of the biggest reasons I'm a fan of term limits in any area of our government. Because if there's term limits, people are going to have to work better and harder to make sure they're actually representing the people they were sent to represent. But we struggle with this concept because here's what you can't do with a king. You can't vote him out. Here's what you can't do with the king. You can't say, well, that's what you say is truth, but what I think is truth. Now that can be abused, right? We've seen that throughout human history, which again, which is why I'm a fan of democracy for a style of government but I'm not a fan of democracy for a style of theology. Here's why. Because God is a good king. He's a holy king. That's what we want. We should want somebody who is good. The reason why democracy is the best thing that we have because at least it tempers the worst instincts of mankind. At least it tempers it. There's no perfect governmental system, humanly speaking. And so Jesus is again asserting his kingliness without just asserting, I'm a king. Because what he's saying is, not only can you determine my kingdom by how my servants fight, you can determine my kingdom by the words I say. And here's what's crazy about what Jesus just said. He didn't just say, things that I say are true. Because other people can claim that, right? Even people who don't know Jesus. Even people that reject Jesus. Even people of other religions can say things that are true. Now don't stone me as a heretic, all right? They can say things that are true. So Christianity has some things in common with other religions if we agree about what is, okay, yeah, that's true. And there's some basic things. But Jesus isn't just saying what I say is true. What he's saying is what I say is the truth. You see the difference? Because here's how he qualifies it. He says, anyone who is of the truth. Told you earlier, prepositions is another preposition of source. Anyone who has the truth as their source listens to my words. See, Jesus didn't just say true things. Jesus defines what is true from what is not. That's a big difference. He defines truth. Why? Because he's a king. Kings define truth by their decrees. But this is what we dislike the most. Why? Because the human heart, every human heart, does not want to live under the kingship of someone else. This is why parents and teenagers have epic battles. And parents, remember, 
They got it from you. Okay? You see, God created you in his image and you denied his image. You created your child and your image and they're just denying yours too. They come by naturally. Because a parent will say, not just true things, but this is the truth. This is how we live. This is how we're gonna organize our life. This is what we're gonna do with our time. See, that's the role. Now listen, the role of the parent is subjugated or subject to the role of the king because the Bible says that. The Bible says that parents have authority underneath the king to train their child. But a parent, in order to be a good parent, should say, I'm saying this not because I'm saying it's true, but because he says it's true. It's like the first conversation I had with my son when he was like two, not the first, but he was like two or three and he was trying to assert his own kingliness. And I mean, I was still bigger than him at that time. I, he's bigger than me now. He's stronger and faster than me now, but I still know more. And so I pulled him up close to close and our, nosed, our noses touched. And I said to him, Jackson, you're not in charge. And the reason why you're not in charge, I'm in charge is because one day when you leave my house, you need to know something. You're still not in charge. You're underneath God. You are underneath a king. And right now I'm his servant to teach you, to love you, to help you understand. There is a truth and it is what God says. And thank goodness we didn't have to have many more epic battles after that. And here's what I'm saying this. Pilate is going to respond to Jesus in the way every teenager responds to their parents. Look at what he says. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. What is truth? And in one of the most, I don't know if I can find a more ironic statement in the Bible. Listen to this. After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Do you see the irony in that statement? Again, I think this might be the most ironic sentence in the entire Bible. If you can't see it, let me explain it to you. So remember, Jesus is inside. The Jews are outside because they wouldn't come in. They didn't want to be defiled. And Pilate is the go-between. So Pilate's having to go in to talk to Jesus. He's having to go out to talk to the Jewish people. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus just said, this is true. Out here, the Jewish people are saying, no, that ain't true. He's doing evil. He's not of God. He's of Beelzebub, which is another word for the devil. He's false. It's a lie. And you got Pilate going in between determining. And here's what's crazy. Pilate just said to Jesus, what is truth? And I don't know how many steps it was between, let's just say it was 20 steps. And Pilate walks right out, tells the Jews 20 steps and says, I can find no guilt in him. Here's the irony. By what standard of truth does he use to determine guilt? You see what I'm saying? Because you can't determine guilt without truth. 
Let me explain this to you in the most simple way I can. You're driving down the road. Speed limit says 55. Officer pulls you over, says I clocked you at 72. And you say, what is speeding? <laughs> 70 true is true for you, true for you. But in my heart, I was not speeding. I don't feel like I was speeding, officer. See what I'm saying? And you go a step further, you say, and, and honestly, I think your limits are oppressive. I should be able to drive as fast as I want to drive. See what I'm saying? To which the officer would probably then not just give you a ticket, but then take you to the hospital because you're crazy. But this is what we try to do in the world every day. We will debate with God about what is true, and then we will walk right back out into the world and make up our own standards of guilt and innocence. See, we're Pilate. Why? Because you don't want a king. I don't want a king over you telling you what is true. So what you're doing, what I'm doing, is we're saying, actually, I'm the king of my own kingdom. I'm the queen of my own kingdom. I don't know if we say that or not, but. What is truth? And this is what I tell you all the time. You don't want to live in a world like that. If you are the victim of a crime and then you're facing a judge and it is very clear what the law says and then the judge says, what is the law? I mean, what is a crime? I feel like that's a good person right there. See what I'm saying? Now here's what's even crazier. You don't want that standard when you're on trial. I mean, when you're, when you're not on trial, but you do when you are on trial. When you are the one that's found guilty, you're like, well, what is guilt? You see the craziness? And Jesus is saying to Pilate right now, and in essence saying to all of us, Truth exists outside of us because God exists outside of us. Truth exists because God exists. Things are true because God said they are true. And, and I use this often. In fact, David and I, Pastor David and I talked about this on the podcast this week. Gravity is true because God said it was true. And you can debate whether it's true or not, but if I walk off this stage, I'm only going one direction. It exists outside of me. doesn't matter if I like gravity or not. If I say to gravity, you hurt my feelings because you hurt my bones. It's true. But we do what Pilate does all the time. See, here's what's crazy. Here's what Pilate couldn't see. 
Pilate is questioning Jesus about whether or not he's king, but Pilate couldn't see that he put himself in the place of king. He put himself in the place of king because he's the one that determined what was true. He's the one that determined guilt or innocence. And where does all this come from? Let me show you the last two verses, verse 39 and 40. Pilate goes back out to the Jewish people. He says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you? Now listen to what he says. The king of the Jews. He's talking to the Jewish people. Do you want me to release to you your king? Verse 40, they cried out, not this man. Not this man, but that man, Barabbas. Now, just in case you were wondering who Barabbas was, look at John tells you. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was a guilty man, is what John's trying to say to you. And Jesus was an innocent man. And the Jewish people, before we start ragging on them, the Jewish people simply did what any human of any historical, of any history does, we choose the wrong man. Let me say it to you like this. We choose the wrong king of the wrong kingdom. Here's where I was studying this this week and this blew me away, like blew me away. I've said this before, but the reason why I love preaching because it forces me to study the Bible. And I just love what I learn, which is why I get so excited to come tell you about it. And as I was studying this this week, this phrase, not this man, jumped out at me. Like, it's so stark. Pilate said, even though Pilate is debating about truth, Pilate's saying, I may not agree with everything, but this is a good dude here. I can find no guilt in him. But it strikes me because the Jewish people say, not this man who by their own standards of guilt and innocent judged wrongly, but Barabbas. And then I started thinking, I wonder what the name Barabbas means. I wonder if there's any significance to this. I mean, you know, Barabbas, we just know him as the robber, the thief on the cross, right? And when I saw, when I looked up his name and I saw what it meant, it floored me. Because the name Barabbas is an Aramaic name, and in the name is a word that you already know. Once I show it to you, you can't not see it. See, Barabbas means son of the father. Because look at it. Barabba, Abba. See it? A B B A? It's the Aramaic word for dad. In fact, it's what Jesus said. Son of the Father. And this is what I started envisioning. At this moment in time, there's two sons. You got Jesus, who is the Son of the Father, right? You got Jesus, who's the Son of God. Even though Jesus 
didn't use that title for himself again because he wasn't a self-promoter. His favorite title for himself was Son of Man, which was still a prophetic title. It came out of the book of Ezekiel, and the Son of Man was the Messiah. But Jesus is the Son of the Father, the only Son of the Father. John 3.16 says, for God gave his one and only son. Now, here's what's crazy. In the Bible, there are other sons of God. And again, before you think I'm heretical, let me explain this to you. When God created, he first created spiritual beings before he created human beings. We were not the first family he created. In fact, interesting, like if you look throughout the Old Testament, again, I don't have time to get into all this, but in Job chapter one, you know the story of Job, very interestingly, it says, and the sons of God came to speak with God and Satan was with them, implying that Satan was the son of God. Now, it's lowercase s, so Jesus is not the only son of God, but he is the only son of God that was never created. He's the preeminent son of God because he is God. But God created other beings, spiritual beings. We call them angels, things like that. And this one son of God named Lucifer or Satan or the devil, if you know your Bible history, what did he do in eternity past? In essence, he said to the king, I don't want you as my king. I don't want you over me. I'm not just a son of God, I am God. And he led a rebellion. And the Bible says he took a third of those spiritual beings with him and now we call them demons. But let me go a step further. When... He did that. He became the king of his own kingdom. In essence, he became a father. What I mean by that is Jesus, when he was talking to the Jewish people in John chapter eight, we did this again, probably last century um, when we were there. But in John chapter eight, Jesus is having a conversation with the Jewish people and they say, Abraham is our father. But in John 8, verse 44, Jesus says this, no, you are of your father, the devil. And you do your father's desires. So right before the people, you got two sons, the son of God, the son of the Holy Father, and then you got Barabbas, the son of a different father. And which one do they choose? They choose the son of their father, the devil. Because here's what we need to understand. There's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of man, which is ruled by Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. So you got the prince of peace, you got that prince. You got light, you got dark. 
You got true, and what's opposite of true? False. Do you understand that our world exists in a binary? And what I mean by binary, if you just look up the definition, means two. Consists of two. In fact, any of you are uh, computer programmers, you know that computer programming is a binary of zero and one. Dark and light. Let me go a step further. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying this is what's true. Male and female. But what is the father of this other kingdom doing? He's been doing what he's always been doing since Genesis 3. What did he do in Genesis 3? He came to the woman and lied to her. So did God say we can't eat of any of these trees? No, 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 God didn't say that, just of that tree. Oh, why did he not want you to eat of that tree? See, there's two trees. Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And what does Satan lie to Eve about? And before we rag on the ladies, Adam walks right up and believes it too. In fact, Adam is the one that the Bible blames because he's the one who got the truth. He says to Eve, God knows you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And she saw that the tree was pleasing and she took of it. What did she do? What did Satan lie to her to do? Satan was trying to bust up the binary. There's not true and false. There's his truth and your truth. There's not right and wrong. There's his right and there's your right. You see what I'm saying? And what's really interesting to me, when you go back into Genesis 1, it says repeatedly that God made animals according to their kind. According to their kind. See, God creates kinds. And every animal has the same, you know, binary construct, right? Male, female. And then even in the flood, God says, send them in two by two according to their kind. See, God separates by kinds. Well, if you remember back in Luke, I just told you a second ago, Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. Here's what that implies. There are different kinds, right? But ultimately, there's only two kinds. There are the Holy, there is, sorry, the Holy Spirit and unholy spirits. You ever wonder why we put the word holy in front of spirit? When we typically don't say Holy Father, Holy Son, we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because there's only one real Father, there's only one real Son, but there's a lot of other spirits but there's only one that's holy, which is the spirit of the father and the son. So at the end of the day, church, listen to me. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two different kinds of kings. There's only two different kinds of sons. And what we do all the time as human beings is we say, not that man, not that king. I don't want that king. I want this one. 
I don't want the holy one, I want the unholy one. Why? Because we're unholy and we feel uncomfortable around the holy. We don't want the holy, we don't want that son of the father, we want this son of the father. And here's what I'm trying to get you to see. You've been lied to about who the father is. It's your father, the devil. And here's my last point, you might wanna write this down. Your king determines your kind. Your king determines your kind. Now, I don't want to put too much stock in this, but look at those two words. They have three of the four letters are the same. Interestingly enough, kin, like your kin, your family. My kinfolk. But there's one letter that's different. King has a G, kind has a D. Now, I'm a preacher, so I get cheesy, all right? But it's G or D. It's God or the devil. There's only two kinds, y'all. There's only two kinds. And your kind is determined by your king. And here's what I'm trying to get you to see, because the devil lies to you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion, but who is? The devil. He's trying to confuse you. And what is his tactic? It's his tactic that has always been his tactic. There's not just two. There's not just dark and light. There's not just true and false. There's your truth and my truth. There's his truth and all kinds of truth. There's not just male and female. There's all kinds. You see it? It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit that's the author of evil that is coming to you and to me and trying to get you and I not to submit to the king of kings, but to a different king, which is of himself by lying to us that we can be our own king. And what he doesn't tell you is that will land you in hell forever. In darkness forever. That will lead you to destruction. See, interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is doing what's called the Olivet Discourse because he was on the Mount of Olives, we get real creative in our titles. He says at the end of the day, the Father will divide people, watch this, by sheep and goats. Let me say it to you like this. God will divide you by your kind. It is a binary construct, people. Darkness or light. Truth or false. Jesus is king. The devil is your king. But the devil's crafty. He's not gonna tell you that by worshiping yourself, you're worshiping him. He's not gonna tell you that by leaving this as your own truth is actually a lie. And when you and I bump up against this question that Satan, when he asked us, what is truth? The Christian response is, what he says is truth. That's truth. Because I'm telling you, you don't want to live in a world that doesn't have that construct. 
And here's the essence of the gospel, and this is what makes this so amazing. And I'm almost done, I promise. What makes this so amazing is the guilty man goes free. The innocent man is killed. So even in the sovereignty of God, man's willful, sinful choices leads to our salvation. Why is Jesus' purpose salvation? Because he took on destruction. See, the essence of the king of kings is I'll be destroyed so that you can be saved. But the essence of the different kingdom of the other father is you save yourself. So it's temporary salvation, but ultimate destruction. You see it? But the good news of the gospel is I deserve to be destroyed. See, again, before we read this story and we think we are the good person in the story, not only are we Pilate, we're Barabbas. We're the son of the other father. But the good news of the gospel is if by grace you can admit I am the one who should have been declared guilty, but you were declared guilty so that I could be declared innocent, then you can become, watch this, a true son of God, a true daughter of God, a true child of God. Because now if you are in Christ, you are now the son of a different father. Don't you know that on this day that's coming up, when Jesus was crucified, the devil and all his kingdom were high-fiving? Like you just finished a workout, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, baby, oh yeah. I mean, they were partying. Satan knew who Jesus was, you know that, right? He knew he was the son of God but he didn't know the plan of God. And on day three, where they're kicking back with their matas, they're like, y'all hear what? Son of God's back. Pfft. What? Yeah. Because in Satan's kingdom, he could have never fathomed that the way to life was through death. He could have never fathomed that the way up was down which is why he lies to you and me all the time. Don't deny yourself. Indulge yourself. Don't deny those feelings. Indulge those feelings. Don't die to yourself. Live to yourself. That's the message. But what I'm saying to you today is if you'll die to yourself, if you'll admit you're actually the son of another father, you can become a son of God because the son of God was destroyed in your place to make you a child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You had no reason to come and save us other than the fact that your love compelled you. Your goodness, your glory you were completely justified in punishing us because every single one of us in our heart has said, not that man. Every single one of us doesn't want you as our king. Every single one of us have shouted along with the chorus, not that man. 
but Barabbas. But God, thank you that that man who is God died to take our place and rose again because light always beats darkness. Peace always beats confusion. Truth always beats falsehood. And so God, I pray right now because there is such a spirit of confusion on this planet where human beings, because of our desire to be our own kings, we are trying to bust out of things that are true. We're trying to destroy the binaries that you created, darkness and light, truth and false, male and female. And so God, I pray right now that your spirit, the Holy Spirit would break through that confusion. That light would shine in darkness. To the people that said, not this man, so that they can come to know this man as their king, because their king determines their kind. The kind of servant they are. The kind of servant of a kingdom that they are. And so God, I pray right now you would save people. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If there's never come a point in time where you understand that Jesus died in your place for your sin because you were the guilty one, you were Barabbas, then today you can receive that by grace through faith in Christ where you just simply have to admit. And you can do this. You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. You say, God, I am that person. I am the guilty one. But thank you that you sent Jesus, the innocent one, to die in my place for my sin. And I ask you to save me, to make me a child of God. Forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting Christ alone. No one looking around or talking as always. If you're in one of our physical locations and you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? We got men and women that are here. They're gonna come put the words of God in your hand. And when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who are followers of this man, I want you to hear me loud and clear. You are not the king. You and I do not get to, to, to determine what is true based upon how we feel. And the more that you and I stand up for truth in this world, the more that we will be attacked by the other father. So you need to know that. You better know the truth. Not only because it sets you free, but because it has the power to set others free. So if we compromise in the truth, we're actually enslaving more people. So I pray that we would stand up for truth. We would stand up for the light, we would stand up for the king because he did come to save. Remember, you can know where the kingdom is from by how you fight. So it's not gonna happen by you being rude or argumentative. It's gonna happen because you are loving. 
Don't forget a spirit of, uh, the fruit of the spirit is kindness. So our kind is kind. Father, I pray that you would help us not only to see your light, but walk in your light. Not only to see your love, but walk in your love. To receive your love and give your love. Because we don't fight like the servants of the world. We don't fight like the servants of darkness. But God, as this world gets increasingly dark, help us to be children of the light, children that stand up for truth, but we do it in loving ways. Because that's exactly how you did it. We ask that you would empower us to continue to be agents of your grace and truth. It's both. In Jesus' name, amen.